0: Welcome back to The Truth, The One Only Good Truth with myself, Giovanni Canales, and we got some topics to cover today. Now, now, as you know, I didn't really record anything last week, so these topics are going to be from last week and a bit from this week. It's kind of nice because there hasn't been really too much news circulating around. A lot of people are talking about Ezekiel Elliott still, um, the Browns, not the Browns, I mean still the Browns. Um, the OBJ, Freddy Kitchens, how they all fit together, the, uh, and I I meant to say Oakland Raiders with the Hard Knocks debut. I haven't watched it yet, but I plan to. It should be very enjoyable. But I got some topics laid out for, for today. So I got the top 100 list. Now, again, a couple weeks ago, but I still want to talk about it and not the ranking and my disputes with the ranking. I want to talk about justifying it. And then after that, I got the news from last week of Baker yelling and calling out his wide receivers. I'm not going to talk about him doing the beer shot at the Cleveland Indians game because I don't really have a problem with it. Um, I got the difference between the Browns and Packers coaching, whether or not I believe Aaron Rodgers is over and overrated. And lastly, whether or not Kobe should be on the all decade team, third team, and uh, or should he be on the second team instead? So, so there's those are the topics that I have for today. So let's get right into it. So, first, I have the top 100 list. So, how, how do we justify this list? Alright, so we all know that it is not correct. We, we all got upset at certain uh, rankings of it, and we all know it's a flawed list. So, first of all, not all players vote. We all know that. Um, and also, the voting takes place at different times of the year. The, uh, the the voting process starts around Thanksgiving time, so that NFL players can see uh, mo- most of the season go by. But players can train in whenever they want, whether it's at that time, Thanksgiving, or later on, closer to the playoff time. So all those different things can uh, influence these different rankings. And second of all, they, they take the top 20 of each player so the player writes down all right these are my top 20 and each player does that of the ones that actually vote for it and that gets compiled together with all these different votes into the top 100 so really it's the top 20 but it becomes the top 100 but then also you get the sense that players vote for their own position or their own opposition such as a wide receiver probably will not vote for his offensive lineman But probably will vote for um, companion wide receivers, teammates that are wide receivers, or even cornerbacks on their own team or on other teams, because they have a lot more correlation with them and know a lot more. Uh, Quarterbacks may vote for other quarterbacks, but then also vote for different uh, linebackers probably, and cornerbacks, or even safeties offensive linemen will definitely vote for other offensive linemen and other defensive linemen because they know that part of the football field and have their attention more drawn towards it. And and when that becomes clear and when you know that, you don't really fret over all these different rankings because we know that they're not correct completely. The explanation of, like, why some players are ahead of others in these rankings become a bit more, bit more clear, such as Baker Mayfield being ranked 50th and Deshaun Watson ranked 51st. Right now, I believe that Deshaun Watson is clearly better than Baker Mayfield, but the reality is that narrative does count. Baker Mayfield is coming off a historic year for a rookie quarterback, getting 27 touchdowns, which is the record for any rookie quarterback. Granted, he did not play the first two games, and came in halfway through the third game of the season for the Browns, which they beat the Jets in in a comeback, I believe. So then so we have that narrative, historic aspect of it, and then this team went seven, eight, and one, barely missing the playoffs, and they haven't been to the in however long. So there's that. That's that narrative where he's bringing them back, the dog man. He's bringing them back. But then also, like you look at Drew Brees, he was ranked second. And then Patrick Mahomes was ranked fourth, I believe, because it was Aaron Donald, Drew Brees, Khalil Mack, and then Patrick Mahomes. I'm pretty sure that was the order. But we we all know that Patrick Mahomes won MVP, and he clearly had a better season than Drew Brees throughout the whole season, consistently, whereas Drew Brees, as we know, slipped off and fell off at the end. But then again, you can see the reasoning behind it, because this voting process takes place during Thanksgiving. And extends from there, so maybe Drew Brees got a whole lot of votes early on. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes got some really good votes as well, but Drew Brees was more of the leader in those votes early on, near Thanksgiving time, before he really slipped off and didn't play as well. And then also Julian Edelman, I believe he was ranked like 90-something. He was ranked in like 96 or something like that. Does he deserve to be on that list? Maybe, I don't really know, but does it really matter? Because, again, the narrative. He wasn't there uh, a couple seasons ago during the, I believe, Eagles Super Bowl. He wasn't there. And we saw that, you know, even though Tom Brady played really, really good, but he uh, wasn't there. Who, Who is his really number one wide receiver, aside from Robert, uh, Rob Gronkowski. But I think we all can tell that his play with Tom Brady throughout the season and, and other teams can tell that is... His play with Tom Brady is amazing and he's a, lot of, uh, he's a big part of the reason why Tom Brady is successful and the Patriots are successful because he can do anything. Third and 10, he, he'll get that ball. He's small, but he can do anything. He can do anything on the football field. So that's probably why he got into the top 100 because of his versatility. But the big picture of it all is don't really worry about where all these rankings are in the top 100. For all we know, Khalil Mack is really number one. And Aaron Donald should be number two. And then it should be Patrick Mahomes and then Drew Brees. Maybe that's how the rankings should be. Or maybe it's just Aaron Donald and then Khalil Mack. And you have all these defensive players. Or maybe it should be all quarterbacks because of them that are the most valuable. Maybe it should be all that. But we all know it's not perfect. Don't worry too much about the rankings. But the one thing that we do know for sure is that the players that are on this list are some of the best in the league, and are the are, are the are the best of the best. They are the best of the de- they are the best of the best, no matter what, because they made it onto this list. And they if they didn't make this list. They're still good, but they're not the best of the best. All right, up next I got the news of Baker yelling at his wide receivers. Now, two weeks ago, I did a similar topic, those with Baker um, doing something else leadership-wise. And, again, the story gets a lot of um, attention because this is Baker Mayfield with the Browns, and the Browns have a new head coach. Uh, they have a new system, whether or not... Baker will continue to flourish as he did it in this rookie year, so a lot of attention gets drawn to it. If it was like Mitchell Trubisky that did this, probably not a lot of attention. But, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about why he yelled at his wide right receivers and why he called him out. So so the story goes that his, that he was it was a scrimmage and he was running out, uh he was scrambling, and what the Browns usually do on a scramble play is they go high, middle, low high, middle, low, uh, all across the football fields to spread out the defense ten. But what ended up happening is that the receivers didn't do that. They didn't come back to him so that he could make a throw. So they were doing their own thing, freelancing, but not in the way that the Browns wanted them to, to help Baker Mayfield. And And that led to Baker shooing out the wide receivers, saying, and, and he talked about it in, after after the fact, uh, and In a press conference, he said, it's just the fact that if we get lazy and let things slide, we need to be open to communicating right now. And most importantly, what he said is, that's what the good teams do. That's what the good teams do. I'm going to talk about my start on the podcast. I started off, and I believe this has some correlation to what Baker is doing right now. I started off figuring out what type of host am I? Am I going to be like Colin Caffer where I'm Mr. Uh, Analogies? Am I going to be drawing comparisons here and here and here like I'm doing right now? Or uh, am I going to be like Nick Nick Wright where I have all these analytics, all these stats, all that stuff? Or am I going to be Mr. Storyteller uh, talking about the narrative, talking about the story of each player? Am I going to be like... uh, Shannon Sharp with all these different weird backstories that, that, that he talks about of his. What, what type of personality am I going to be on camera? But I realized that I can't try to be that. I can't be like Stephen A. and just get angry about everything. I can't be like Max Kellerman and have this kind of analytic look at things. I can't be like that. That's not me. So I end up becoming my own person. I, have to be, I, I found I have to be my own person. And I have to work on that. And I still do have to work on that. But that's what Baker's trying to do right now. Mind you, this is his first time in training camp with the number ones, with the first strings. Because last year, when he was in training camps, he had to work with the backups, the second string, the third string. yeah, So on, so on, and so on. Which is why he developed a really good um, timing with Richard Higgins. And he wants to do that with Odell, Jarvis Landry, Higgins again. Uh, some other wide receivers on that squad, uh, David Njoku, different players, he wants to de- he wants to develop that timing because his game is not predicated on his athleticism, it's not predicated on his size, because he's not very big. It's more predicated on his skill, his ability to throw the ball, his rocket arm, his precision, his timing, and he needs that timing in order to be great at what he does. And right now, he's trying to figure out how to motivate the team to do what he wants to do. He's trying to figure out what type of leader he is. And we all know that he's not that Tom Brady sort of leader. We know he's not that Aaron Rodgers sort of leader. He's trying to develop his own sort of leadership, again, in his first time being with the first fingers in training camp. But my only problem with this sort of calling out the wide receivers is that... Maybe know your audience. Know your audience. I know that probably Jarvis Landry can handle it because he wants to win. I know probably Nick Shubb can handle it. I know, even though he's a running back, I know that Rashard Higgins probably can handle it. My only question is, can Odell Beckham handle it? And and at that point, and at that point it becomes, know your audience. Whether you're going to have this really angry... Outlook and be like, yeah, you guys got to get come back or, or if you're going to be more calm and more like, hey, maybe next time, you know, help me out here and come back to Odell. But I think that over even though it's my question, uh, whether or not Odell can handle it, handle that intensity, I believe it all should be well. I believe that Baker knows Odell, Jarvis, David Njoku, and Shubb well enough um, and has enough chemistry with them over this past offseason. That he can say this stuff to them and they'd be all right with it, and they'd be able to handle it and move on and do it as he says. And for those of you that want your prototypical starting quarterback, like like people like you, uh, such as Colin Cowherd, who want your prototypical starting quarterback who you know doesn't let his emotions out, has a Still has, straight forward, doesn't really get upset, talks to wide receivers nicely, all that stuff. Well, let me bring you back to 2013, when Tom Brady did the exact same thing, calling out his wide receivers, yelling at him, throwing a fit on the field in 2013 against the New York Jets. Now, they did win that game. I believe it was 13-10 in 2013, but it was with unexperienced wide receivers and he just expressed frustration. He just—he was throwing his arms. He was yelling. Look it up. Just look up. Tom Brady yells at wide receivers against the Jets, and you'll see it. Julian Edelman was there still, and and he did it. He did it. He did all of it. And that's Tom Brady, one of the best leaders in the game, and who we look to as the prototypical leader. What we want our uh, our. NFL quarterbacks to be like, and he did that same thing in 2013. Now, of course, afterwards, he did lament it and say, hey, I got to have better body language But but that's kind of what Baker did, again, by clarifying his intentions by showing out his wide receivers, by saying, hey, I just want to make sure that we got the timing down. I just want to make sure that we're not lazy and that we are doing what good teams do and that we can put ourselves in the best chance to win. So I don't, I don't have a problem with him yelling at his wider series at all. I understand that he's a different type of leader, and I accept that. I'm not going to try to force him to be someone he's not. And what what he is, is great. He is great. Alright. This is more of a tough subject, and hopefully I can wrap your heads around it, wrap your minds around it to get to my level of thinking when I'm talking about this. Uh, Well, not my level of thinking, but just my own, the way that I think about this. And this is the Packers versus Browns head coaching. Freddy Kitchens versus Matt LeFleur. And their differences and their similarities and why I think one will work and one won't. Spoiler alert, I think that the Browns, Freddy Kitchens, will work, and Matt LaFleur probably will Now, let's start off with the similarities of Matt LaFleur and uh, Freddie Kitchens. So, they both are, well, they both were offensive coordinators last year. Uh, Freddie Kitchens with the Browns being promoted from, I believe, associate head coach and running back to coach, all the way up to offensive coordinator during the whole uh, Hugh Jackson, um, who's the other guy? Todd Haley, firing, debacle, sort of fighting within the bounds. And then Matt Lafleur also, for the past two seasons, was offensive coordinator for the Rams and the Tennessee Titans. So that's what good. did. He got to work with Sean McVay, and he also was the main person last year for the Tennessee Titans. They've both worked with quarterbacks. Freddie Fishens has also worked with tight ends, running backs, But the differences between these two head coaches and their story and their scenario and their fit right now is the reason why I believe that Freddie Kitchens will work and Matt LaFerr not so much. Now, Freddie Kitchens, like I said, was the offensive coordinator after Hugh Jackson and Tyler Haley were fired. And he went from associate head coach, running back head coach, all the way to offensive coordinator. And after that, I believe Greg Williams was fired. And then he became head coach of the Clippin' Browns, as we know him. But he's been with the Browns for about a year now. There are all the chaos he's been with Baker Mayfield. He's been with Nick Chubb. He's been with Jarvis Landry. He's been with the whole team, Miles Garrett. He's been with the whole team. So he knows how they feel. He knows them, and they know him. So I believe that at this point, they have a good understanding for each other, the team and him. They, they have a good understanding for each other. They have a good amount of communication between them, open communication, and there's a level of trust that they have. Now, I don't know the X's and O's of Freddie Kitchens' offense. I don't know that. But let's be honest. That Brown's offense looked much better. Much, much, much better. With Baker off the leash, having a bit more control with Freddie Kitchens than with Hugh Jackson, who wanted him to, it appeared to me, play shorter, uh, throw, throw the ball shorter, throw it like in the sort of mid-range area, not really taking the chance or risk throwing it deep or letting him... Just freelance and just go wherever you want. And with Freddie Kitchens, they ended off the season five and three, including games against or wins against the Falcons and, and the Panthers. Now, of course, analysts will say, "Oh, but they didn't beat any playoff teams." Yeah, the Falcons, and Panthers weren't playoff teams, but we all know that they were playoff caliber teams. Especially their defenses were playoff caliber. And he put up high twenty numbers on them, including wins against the Bengals when, even though the Bengals are, you know, not great, but going against Hugh Jackson, who knew his tendencies, knew what he was, and completely obliterated him. And this offense looks so much better under Freddie Kitchens, going from 169 points within the first eight games to, I believe, 190 points in the last eight games, so that's a 21-point difference. Granted, the first few games, they played against really tough teams. But then also, they played against tough teams. and the latter end, not as many, but still. And their defense played a lot better. But that level of trust and communication that they already have built in between Freddie Kitchens and the team, I believe will help them win a lot more games this year and be in the right spot for playoff contention. Now, no doubt about it, they will have turmoil and, turmoil and struggle Within the first three or four weeks. I, I, I'm i going to say the first four weeks. Yeah. I have a room down right here. It's going to be growing pains within the first four weeks. But after that, they should be fine. And at that point, they should be competing for a playoff spot. Now for Matt LaFleur. Offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Where do I start? All right. Kansas. A bit of success for the Tennessee Titans, going nine and seven. But let's be honest, that's more granted to his defense. His defense allowed the Tennessee Titans' defense uh, allowed the third least amount of points per game, eighteen point nine points per game. Um, the first and second were, uh, I believe, the Chicago Bears and then the Baltimore Ravens. So they were third with those two teams, two of the best defenses in the league. So they were. Really the third best defense in the league. Going 9-7 with that is kind of is good, but it's not really impressive. And, and it should be noted that the full offense was under his command. And it wasn't pretty. It just wasn't pretty. They were 25th in total yards game. They were 27th in points per game. At 19.4. It's not it's not really—it's not really what you want from an offensive coordinator that has full control over a team with Marcus Mariota. And you can say that Marcus Mariota, like he was injured from a good amount of the whole season, so you know he was in and out of the lineup, injured, 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 injured. So you can chalk that up to the reason why that offense didn't really flourish. But even then, you can't be twenty-seventh in points per game. You just can't. And even more. To, to me, it's a bit more concerning that this part, uh, that this that line is more true. Uh, the twi- They're 29th in passing yards per game, 7th in rushing yards. And when you compare that to the Packers with Mike McCarthy this past season, and then Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy got fired, the Packers were 9th in passing yards, 22nd in rushing. So how is that going to fit with Aaron Rodgers? How is that going to fit? A lot of rushing with Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis, not a lot of passing with Mark Tamarone and whoever the back quarterback was. How is that going to how are you going to translate that offense to the Packers where it's just the opposite. Where you need a lot of passing and a bit less rushing to keep Aaron Rodgers happy. Again, they had 16 passing touchdowns. 16. Now I, now, I forgot where that ranks, but the Packers had 25 with Aaron Rodgers. And I'm pretty sure that Aaron Rodgers was not happy with 25. And he surely won't be happy with 16. He wants maybe in the 30 region. So, my question more of with Matt LaFleur is how will he appease uh, Aaron Rodgers? Because to me, it doesn't look like it's going to be headed in that right direction. And I believe overall, Freddie Kitchens has that connection with Baker Mayfield, the whole team, Nick Shubb, especially as the running back coach, um, David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, Miles Garrett, even people on the defensive side, and a majority of the players on the offensive side. He has that connection, that trust, and that level of communication with them that Matt LeFleur just does not have as a first-year head coach. Now, he's getting there, but he's not quite there. And I believe at this point that Baker Mayfield can be still molded into what Freddie Kitchens wants and is augmented and is a bit more flexible to learning and to adapting. Whereas on the flip side, Matt LeFleur doesn't really know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really know the team. He's getting there, like I said, but he isn't quite there at that level yet that you need to be to actually be successful. And at this point, Aaron Rodgers has his bad habits, has his good habits, and it'll be super hard to break them going forward. To what Matt LaFleur wants in this offense. Now, is it possible? Yes. I, I believe it'll work, but not this year. This year will be all growing pains for the uh, Green Bay Packers. It'll be all season worse for the Browns. I believe it'll be maybe the first four weeks. And by then, people will be panicking, saying, oh my goodness, it doesn't work. It's all Dallas fault. And ah, uh, Freddie Kitchens can't coach. Yep. The Browns will be fine. The Packers will be fine next season. Not this season, next season. All right, and with that being said, I am going to take a little break. All right, I am back out refreshed. And we are back to talk about whether or not Aaron Rodgers is overrated and Kobe on the all-decade team. All right, let's start off with Aaron Rodgers. So, there was an article, I believe, last week, uh, published by Bucky Brooks, who is a former NFL player and NFL scout currently. And he basically said, within the first two lines, that Aaron Rodgers is overrated. Now, do I believe with that? Do, do I believe that? It depends on how you look at it. If you believe that he's the number one uh, quarterback, then I would say, yes, he is overrated. But I don't believe that he's the number one quarterback overall. I believe he's probably top four, top five. He's not top three. Maybe fourth or the fifth best quarterback in the league right now. But that's me. So I believe, therefore, he is overhyped as viewed by the media or by other people as quote-unquote not the GOAT, but the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. In that sense, I believe that he's overrated by the media. And from my perspective, overhyped in general. And, and, and I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers is bad. I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that he's decent. I'm saying he's good. He's great. But he is, isn't the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. He has talent. He is a great quarterback, but he's not the best quarterback ever. To me, does he pass the eye test as a great quarterback? Yes, definitely. Is he a future Hall of Famer? Yes, for sure. But guess what? Talent on that level will, will, will get you the eye test pass, a future Hall of Fame jacket. It will get you all that. But guess what? In the end, intangibles, intangibles. That's what it is Intangibles get you wins. It, it, it'll, it help you win. It'll get you wins, and, and ultimately wins get you to that goat status. Look at Michael Jordan. He has all. He had all the talent. Look at Tom Brady. He had all the talent. But guess what? They had the intangibles. They had that leadership ability. They had the adaptability. Michael Jordan, especially. Switching coaches, going to Phil Jackson, buying into that system of not being the only guy, sharing the rock, doing all that stuff. Kobe Bryant doing the exact same thing. All that adaptability and all these intangibles helps them get to that quote-unquote goat status. And that's when you can actually have a debate between who is the greatest of all time. And then for me, like I said before, you need to combine that talent, which will get you into the Hall of Fame for sure. And the intangibles, which, which will get you combining that together, and you'll get that GOAT debate slash status. Some of the players that got it paired together were Tom Brady, Joe Montana, um, Jerry Rice. All, all had the intangibles, as well as extreme talent. But then you look on the flip side, when you only have talent, you have players like Dan Marino, Michael Vick, Randy Moss which is why they could never win, because they didn't have the intangibles. And when you only have intangibles, great leadership, great charisma, all that stuff, great adaptability, great influence, great great, all that stuff, but you don't really have the talent there. You get players like Tim Tebow. (laughs) You get players like Tim Tebow. Now, the only exception that comes to mind with all this stuff is Barry Sanders, but that was his fault. It was part of the organization's fault. In this case, it's not the organization's fault. It is Aaron Rodgers. Because he has all the talent in the world. He has had all the pieces for him. But he doesn't have that intangible of adaptability of buying into the system. Especially with Matt LaFleur. He's questioning um, joint practices. I don't blame him for that. But that's just who he is. He questions things. He doesn't... He's not full on board. He doesn't buy into the system. He doesn't buy into a whole lot of things. But, but yet... But he's had the pieces... To, to be successful, he, he's had a decent uh, defense. The defense has had his moments. This year, the defense has been built. Now it's young, but it's been built over the years. So now hopefully it's actually good. Last year wasn't that great, but this year hopefully it's decent or good. He, on the offensive side, he's had players like Randall Cobb. He's had Devonta Adams recently. He's had Jimmy Graham for a bit, and I don't blame him for Jimmy Graham because Jimmy Graham is more of just misused. Um, he's had Greg Jennings, he's had Jermichael Finley, I might even throw in Jeff Janis there, but not on, like, those level, on the level of those guys, but more, like, on the underneath level, where he was a good wide receiver. He's not, I I don't know what team he's on anymore, if he is on a team, but he was great with Aaron Rodgers. And he's had a decent O-line for quite some time now, and it's still going to be pretty good. Of course, you know, last season wasn't its best season, but he's had a good O-line. Offensive line for quite some time now, and he hasn't really done much. He won one Super Bowl, and that's great. But if you want to get to that goat status, you gotta win some more, man. You gotta win something meaningful, meaningful like some playoff games, and at the ultimate level, a Super Bowl. He hasn't won a Super Bowl since two thousand eleven, and with a player of his caliber, his talent, we gotta expect that he wins more than one by the end of his career. And it all comes down to, like I said. You cannot tell me that uh, he can't be like Deshaun Watson, who has had a crappy offensive line for his whole career and has found ways to get into the playoffs and actually compete. You can't tell me that he can't be like um, Patrick Mahomes, who has had a horrible defense last year, one of the worst defenses last year. Granted, they had at least a decent pass rush, but overall, horrible defense. You can't tell me that he can't lead the team to be one of the top offenses in the league, like Patrick Mahomes did, you can't tell me that you can't do that. You can't tell me that, that, that you can't be like uh, Russell Wilson, who this past year still stuck into the playoffs. In the NFC, the same conference as Green Bay Packers, as a wildcard team. So you know he didn't just win his division. He fought his way into it. Unlike Aaron Rodgers, with a horrible offensive line horrible one. Now, they kind of did get their act together, but but it was still pretty bad. And the pretty bad defense. It wasn't great. It wasn't like the Legion of Boom. It was between decent and bad. It was like right there. not that area. You, you can't tell me that, that he can't be on some level like those quarterbacks, because he's better than them. Aside from maybe Patrick Mahomes at this point. But he's better than Sean Lockett. He's better than Russell Wilson. So you can't tell me that he can't make the playoffs with the team that he has right now, He can't tell me that. But he won't, because he doesn't have the intangibles. He does not have the intangibles. And once he proves that that, that he can adapt to the way that the league is going to, and adapt to what his coaches want him to do, I'm sorry, I just don't think that he'll win another Super Bowl. And to me, that makes him overrated slash overhyped. All right. Next, we got. I gotta stop saying "all right" all the time. I gotta stop saying "all right." I did a, a segment between each segment. I don't know why I do that. So let me try something else. The All NBA. Oh, let me try that again. Actually, this is a work in progress. I'm not gonna cut it. It's a work in progress. The All Decade Teams by the NBA were released, and that's important to understand that these are opinion, are opinionated decisions created by NBA staff analysts scouts all that stuff and it's not an actual official honor or award so if you have any disagreement if you have any disagreements with it don't worry about it don't worry about it too much it's it's okay this is the world of sports I understand I get intense about things sometimes when I'm really, really passionate about it and I get really really intense and I want to Argue a whole lot when things come out like Philip Rivers is not one of the best quarterbacks of all time, or something like that, or he's not a Hall of Famer. And I really want to get upset and argue about it, but, and then it's all opinionated, so you can't really, you gotta just calm down. Alright? So, the, the way it's set up is that you have two guards and three forwards for each team first team, second team, third team. And it's all based off the stats, accolades from the 2009 2010 season. That's important. 2009 season, all the way to this last season, 2018. It's important to make that clear to people, because then you have different championships at different times, which can bring in other people, or embellish some of the resumes of some of these people in this decade. So just to be clear again, the 2009-2010 season, where the Lakers won their back-to-back, all the way up to the 2018 2019 season where the Raptors won the whole thing. It's important to note that. So let's go on. All right, the first team has Stephen Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Cameron Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Now it's hard for me to really move anyone off this list from first team to second team or third team or off the list in general. They're not going off the list. I mean, we, we all know what these players have done. They've all won MVP except for Kawhi Leonard who's won two Finals MVP. So They've all won championships, except for James Harden. Their resumes are pretty good. They've all been historic. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to go into depth of each individual player. Second team, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony. The only player on this list that has won an MVP award has been Russell Westbrook. Now, Anthony Davis has been in discussions for MVP. But aside from that, all these other players, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin... Kareem Anthony are all for sure Hall of Famers, for sure Hall of Famers. We we, we know that they're going in the, in the Hall of Fame. And then the third team: Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, Paul George, Marcus Aldridge, Giannis Antetokounmpo. For Marcus Aldridge, is more of is, is he on the verge of a Hall of Famer? Maybe, maybe not. Is he quite there? Maybe, maybe not. For Giannis, he didn't really. Become who he is until this year and the year before, so the last two seasons of this decade. Did did he really become the Giannis that we really know now, the Greek freak, as people call him? So you can't really put him all up there now. This next decade, yes, he'll be up there in the first team. And then Dwayne Wade, again, this decade, in his prime for half of it, and then his Prime for the other half of it. So you can't really put him on level of Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook. Paul George dealt with multiple injuries that kept him out of the league, or not league, but season, but kept him out for a couple of seasons, in and out of games, in and out of uh, lineups and seasons, really. Um, and again, he didn't really become that great guy, and I wouldn't really put him above Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Davis, or Blake Griffin on that level. For this past year, because he really has not done too much in the playoffs, just like these other guys, so you can't really compare them. And with the numbers show it, these guys are better than Paul George. So it all brings down to Kobe Bryant. Should he be moved up to the second team? Because I like where he is on the 13. I like where he is on. The, but should we move him up to the second team? And that would mean replacing Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook. So let's go down the resumes. Kobe Bryant, NBA champion on that tw- on that two thousand nine two thousand ten season, won it. Also won Finals MVP, completing, gaining the narrative of a back to back champion and going into the next season looking for that second threepeat. Didn't get it, but it still got back to back championships, which is really good. But only one of those championships is going to be counted on this list. He's a tie-in. NBA All-Star for that decade, four-time All-NBA First Team, uh, two-time NBA All-Defensive First Team, uh, and one-time All-Defensive Second Team. He is the youngest to score 26,000 points and then t- uh, 27,000 points. He's one of seven players uh, at that time to get 25,000 points, 5,000 rebounds, and 5,000 assists. So again, historic. that comes more on, e- on the end of uh, his career. But let's be real. he really only had a good three to four years where he was Kobe-esque, where he was one of the best players in the league. But then after that, after the 2012 season, he got all derailed by injuries, Achilles injuries, and some other injuries also. And so if a third of the years of the decade are really good and the rest are really bad, it's hard for me to put him up in the second team slot and and that's okay it becomes more like a Giannis Tumpo situation except reverse Giannis had the past two three years be really, really good well probably past two years and a bit of the third uh be really good but before that no one really knew him they had an idea of who he was and we're like oh that's Giannis the kid with the really long last name from Greece but no one paid him much mind and that's kind, of same, that's kind of the same case with uh, Kobe right here, where just first few seasons of the decade, he was amazing. But then after that, injuries took him off for the, past, for, the for the next three years, and then he eventually retired, and that was the end of Kobe. And then, and then we look at Chris Paul, he was, for this whole decade, or majority of this decade, he was regarded as the best point guard in the league. Until, of course, Stephen Curry stepped in and completely changed the game. And at that point, Chris Paul was like, oh, is he the second best or third best or a top five for sure. And, and during the time, he was a four-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA first team, two-time second team, one-time third team. And then defensively, he was insane six-time defensive first team and one-time defensive second team, two-time assist leader. Four-time steals leader, regarded as one of the best traditional point guards ever. Beat because of his resume during this decade. And then Russell Westbrook. It'll be hard to dock him off from the second team to the third team because he's had the MVP this this decade. Eight-time All-Star, two-time NBA First Team, five-time Second Team, one-time Third Team, two-time Scoring Champion, two-time Assist Leader... And he's done what no one else has done, which is average a triple-double for three years in a row. Yes, you can say that, oh, he's stat-padding, but come on, triple-double, three years in a row. It's insane, nonetheless. So so do I think that Kobe's numbers, career-wise, are better than them? Yes, Kobe by sure, for sure. If, if you're taking it from the career, from, from career-wise, yeah, first team, all NBA career would be probably MJ, Kobe, LeBron or Larry, Tim Duncan, and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Or maybe Bill Russell, one of them. Career-wise, but this past decade, Kobe's more on the, on the same kind of level of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, where it puts him in the 13, because he didn't really play for a majority of the decade, and when he did play, he had half of the time, a good season, and the other half, injuries that really derailed his career at the end. So that being said, no, Kobe did not deserve to, does not deserve to be moved up into the All-NBA second team or, yeah, moved up into the All-NBA, or All-Decade second team. And is right where he should be on the All-Decade third team. So, as being said, thank you for listening to the G-Truth, the one-only good truth, with myself, Giovanni Canales. If you're listening to this on Apple, Spotify, or the uh, podcasting app of your choice, please be sure to subscribe or follow, whichever the button right there says. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, be sure to hit that like button, and then also subscribe too, and also on YouTube or the podcasting app of your choice. Be sure to share with all your friends. Or your family too. Thank you for listening. Peace.